Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning. Good morning, Ike. Thank you for that. Ike is awake and ready. Good morning, Kip. A few people awake today. Are you excited to be here? Kip is excited to be here. He also has the advantage of sitting in the front row, so it's easiest for me to hear him. But if you want me to hear you if in, the, in the back, you're going to have to speak up, okay? Um, man, I'm so excited to be here. This is the last week of our Mosaic series, and uh, has anyone enjoyed it? I mean, I've, I've really, really enjoyed this series. Um, each message is, is unique in its own way, um, but they've all tied together still so very well, and that's kind of the point of really all of our series, but especially this one. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I will never forget... Ryan using the word delicates on stage. Um, and I figured out a way, like, I, I, one of the things I tried to work on is, you know, maybe I should try to be more funny. And because um, my wife doesn't always think I'm funny. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but uh, for any preacher, especially me, I found the, ver- the easiest way to increase the number of laughs you get is just to remind people things that Ryan said. Because he's, like, easily the funniest one out of all of us. Um, so Ryan, I love you, man. You're the best. Uh, if you ever decide to start stand-up comedy career, I'll be there. I'll pay for it. It's fine. Oh, okay. So you're saying I shouldn't egg him on, Lauren? Okay, okay. All right. Well, let's start a GoFundMe campaign, see if we can get that career off the ground. Yeah. Yes. On the side, comedy on the side. But I, I digress. Maybe we should talk about Jesus for a little while. Um, so the last time I preached, we were in a presence series, and I spent some time in Exodus chapter 33, and we focused mostly on Joshua in that passage, but one of the things that we read was that Moses, uh, God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend, and that's one of the coolest lines in the Bible for me right now. And what I wanted, so what I want to do today, um, I, just, I just couldn't leave that passage. Something about it stuck in my brain, and I just had to keep going back and going back. So I went back and I read chapters 32 through 34, because when you find something that you really like in Scripture, you should probably read at least like the chapter before and after it, so you actually know what's going on, so you actually have the context. Um, And the more I read around that passage about the tent of meeting, um, I was just overwhelmed with God's goodness. It it, it wrecked me, and it, it turned out that it fits perfectly with this series. So... Without further, further ado, we're going to close out the Mosaic series by looking at the life of Moses. Um, that might seem ironic or um, maybe too simple for some of you, and that's okay, but uh, I, I just couldn't get away from this passage. And specifically, I want to talk about one of the most overlooked and honestly underbelieved facets of God's image, and that's friendship. I think friendship is one of those facets of the Mosaic that we think about the least because he's so big and he's so powerful and he he's he's up there in heaven air quotes for those of you on the podcast and it's just different now than we read those passages in the old testament and it's just different now than it was back then so we forget about his friendship and I, i believe god's friendship with moses specifically was unique mostly because the bible tells me so Deuteronomy 34.10 says very clearly, there has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. Case closed. 
So not only did Moses have this unique friendship with God, but he also, at least for me, is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, human examples of true friendship that I have ever encountered. Because if you remember, Moses was tasked with leading the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. Ooh, that's awesome. Except for the fact that, like, the entire time they complained so much that his life was like literally hell on earth. Just totally ungrateful. In fact, there's, there, there's, I counted 15 documented instances in the Bible. There's probably more than 15, but 15 made it in the Bible of when the people complained so much that God was literally about ready to wipe them out completely, just kill all of them. And every single time Moses stepped in and interceded for their lives and succeeded. Who would do that? A good friend would do that. In fact, in number 16, go read this, two days in a row, God threatened destruction, and Moses interceded two days in a row. Talk about short-term memory loss. Do you think your kids are bad? (laughs) This is bad. This is grown adults being like, yeah, we don't remember what happened yesterday when we almost died. We were within minutes of dying, and now he's going to do it again. And, and before, before you, like, and you, and you you're, you're, I know you're going to say, like, well, I know what that's like. I have kids. You know, they disobey me all the time. And they, my, one, my one kid complained 68 times this morning. And, so, and I still love them. I don't see why Moses is so special. Okay. Before you award yourself the Oscar for better friend than Moses, let's, let's set the stage a little bit, okay? Imagine, if you will, every single person in this room giving you attitude this morning. Okay. Now, I know we're all good Christians here, but you don't even know everyone in this room, let alone love them enough to sacrifice something for them. I don't think. Okay, now, think about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people giving you attitude this morning. Not on social media, not on Twitter, not on on YouTube, where you can just shut your phone off and forget that it happened. I'm talking about all hundreds of thousands, millions in your face, in your grill, giving you attitude to your face. Okay, two days in a row of that, and I guarantee you, you are asking God for the nuclear launch codes. <laughs> right? Come on now. I'm preaching to somebody here. So what in the world with this friendship? What in the world? We've got to figure it out. So let's turn to Exodus 32. And while you're turning there um, or flipping there in your device, let me just say that I don't have like three or five nice, clean, practical things at the end of the message for you to do. My message just didn't shake out that way, so for the practical people, I'm sorry. Um, But I just have one simple goal, and that's today, and that's just to start to awaken in us a pursuit of friendship with God because I think relationship is good. I think many people in this room probably have a relationship with God. Many people listening on the podcast might have a relationship with God, and that's good, but a friendship is best. Okay, friendship is best. So let's look at uh, chapter 32. We're going to start in verse 9. Um, um, if you don't know, chapter 32 is the famous golden calf episode. So, yeah, so Moses is up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. He's getting the law um, from God, and then uh, Moses is not uh, all-knowing, and God is. So God tells him, hey, um, your people are freaking out. They're made, they made an, an idol. Um, that's not good. You need to go deal with that because um, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and uh, so we pick up the story in verse 9. 
It says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Verse 10 is the, the, the kicker. Now, therefore, let me alone. What? That my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Those two verses are a lot of fire and brimstone, but there's a lot of blessing in there too. I want two big things, two big things I want to bring out of that verse, verse 10 especially. Um, Leave me alone means that Moses spent a lot of time with God. Okay, you don't say that to someone that only shows up once a month. You don't say leave me alone to someone that shows up once a month because they're already leaving you alone. Okay, right? Not to be clear, God does not need Moses' permission to do, or anyone's permission to do anything. But he still spoke to him like a friend. He didn't need to, but he respected his friendship with Moses enough to speak to him like a friend. Now, God also said what he said because he was testing Moses. He, he wanted to find out if Moses would actually leave him alone. Now, how many, how many know that, like, when some, if you know somebody really well, especially your spouse, when they tell you to leave you alone, leave them alone, sometimes they don't actually mean that, right? Come on. Okay, th- I, I'm, come on. I am preaching now. Seriously. If you're really good friends with somebody and they say, leave me alone, you know if they actually want to be left alone or if they want you to, like, come after them and ignore their commands to leave them alone. So God is testing his friendship with Moses, and he's also testing Moses' friendship with the people. This is the best part, because God gave him a way out. I mean, in my personal experience, God almost never gives you a way out of a trial. He usually, like 99% of the time for me, gives us the strength to get through the trial because he's trying to mold us and shape us into the image of his son. Amen? Right? He rarely gives you the get-out-of-jail-free card. In this case, he was like, all right, Moses, here you go. I'm taking you out. I'm taking you out of this situation completely. He offers him this huge blessing, huge blessing. I'm going to wipe everyone out and start over with you and make a great nation of you. Those are the exact same words that God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to take the promise I gave to them, and I'm going to transfer it to you. We're going to start over with just your little family. So he offered him relief. No more leadership. No more leadership. No more wandering through the desert with a nation of people complaining to you and hating you. No more drama. Just a clean slate. Just back to the beginning with just your little family. What would you do when offered such a huge blessing? Would you take it? One honest person. What does Moses do? We'll read part of his response, starting in verse 12. He says to God, Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he, that is God, bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your own people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, God doesn't even say anything. It just says, very simply, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Moses didn't leave God alone. 
And he was bold enough to ask God to save his own people. Not only that, Moses literally took the promise that God had offered to him and just gave it right back to him. He said, no, no, no. You made that promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God knew, what, God knew Genesis. <laughs> God knew what he had said. He doesn't forget. Moses said, no, you made that promise to those three. You need to stick to the original promise. So Moses was a good friend, good enough to bother God even when God told him to leave him alone, and good enough to fight for the lives of his people that spent most of their time hating him. Does that sound like a good friend to you? I want to camp out on this golden calf episode for a little bit um, because I feel like I stopped learning about it in, in Sunday school. And I don't mean that negatively against the church. I just think that it's one of those stories that we teach kids in Sunday school and then we like never give like the varsity version like in like adult church, right? And so I, I think there's a lot more to be drawn out of the story. So if you, we didn't, we're not going to read this, but if you go back to chap, the very beginning of chapter 32, you will see that Aaron calls for a feast to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the day after the golden calf is made. Wait a minute. Is that in there? Yes, it is. Go read it. The people were not worshiping a false god. That might be new information for some of you, but the people were not worshiping a false god. They were worshiping Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God we're singing to, the God we're talking about right now, same one. They were using that golden calf in the same way that all ancient Near Eastern people used idols. Well, that's bad. Okay, hold on. If you recall, in the future, they're going to make the Ark of the Covenant. It's going to go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and then eventually into the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, what would happen? The golden box with the cherubim on top was there called the mercy seat. And the presence of God, usually in the form of a cloud, would descend and hover over that golden box. What's the difference? Okay. That's how ancient Near Eastern people that's how the idols worked in their minds. Okay, now why would the Israelites do that? You got to think about it. Moses had been up on the mountain for 40 days, and the presence of God had left the camp and was up on the mountain with Moses for 40 days. So Moses, your leader's gone, and the presence, the visible presence of God is gone 40 days in a row, first time ever. The people were scared. They were freaked out because their leader and God himself had abandoned them quote, unquote. They didn't know when they were going to come back. So they freak out, and they make this idol, not because they spiritually went off a cliff and decided, well, that God doesn't work for us. We need this God over here now. No. They built that idol because they were going to try to get God's presence back into the camp. So if they made this thing and worshiped at it and prayed to him through it, and celebrated him around it, that he would come back in his, into the camp and hover over that thing, just like the Ark of the Covenant would function later on. So they weren't like, they didn't like veer off course like a, like a thousand miles, you guys. They were like, they were this far off course with the golden calf. Guys, they knew that idol was a lump of gold. 
They knew that thing had zero power. They knew they had made it with their own hands. They were trying to get God's presence back in the camp. (laughs) Okay, so now you might be thinking, well, if they're worshiping the true God, the one true God, Yahweh, then what's the big deal? Okay, well, what does the first commandment say? You shall have no other gods before me. Oh, you worship only me. Now, what does the second commandment say? You shall not make an image. Okay, the second commandment has nothing to do with false gods. He already covered it in the first commandment. So in the first two commandments, this is what God is saying. You don't worship anybody else but me. You worship only me, commandment number one. Number two, when you worship me, don't use an idol. Never use an idol. Why would he say that? The obvious answer that most scholars give you is, well, all the other cultures around them used idols, and so the Israelites need to be different. Yes, 100% true. Not the best or only answer to that question. Not the most glorious answer to that question. Here's the real reason. Who was created in God's image? It's okay, you can tell me. Who was created in God's image? Okay, very good. The Lord's saying, hey, don't make an idol. You all are my idols. I created you in my image. You look like me. You are my most precious creation. You are the only very good thing I made. You are my physical representatives on earth. If you try to make an image of me with your own hands, you know what's going to happen? You're going to forget who you are and whose you are. You're going to forsake the royal place that I gave you. I made you very good, and that means I made you good enough to be my imagers. So God is simply asking his people, hey, which does a better job of imaging me, that golden, that one golden calf that you made or the mosaic that I made am currently making and will continue to make stretching across thousands of generations and stretching across billions of people? Which is better? That's what the first two commandments mean. And that's why the golden calf was a big deal. The Israelites were off course an inch. And God would not let it slide because he did not want them to forget their place. He did not want them to lose their identity. Bad things happen. Uh, God sends a plague. 3,000 people die. It's awful. <laughs> and Moses goes back to God to ask for forgiveness. And there's, there's so much beauty in this passage, but I want to focus on one verse, verse 32. Because... We're going to skip down to that verse because Moses literally offers up his life. It says, but now, he can't even get all of the words out. He's so desperate. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but, but, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. When he says that, he's referring to the book of life, friends. He's offering up his place in the kingdom, offering up his salvation, if you will just so the people of Israel can live another day. They're not going to get permanent immunity with this sacrifice. They're just going to live to fight another day. And based on the track record, they're not going to last another day. Moses offered up his life to save a bunch of people that hated him. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I'm telling you, God once again spared the people of Israel from destruction. Sounds like a good friend to me. 
Now we get to chapter 33. We have the tent of meeting passage with Moses and Joshua. And then if you keep reading later on in chapter 33, it's this really cool exchange between Moses and God. And, and Moses ask, uh, asks God to see his glory. And, and it's, it's another message for another time. We have to skip on to verse, uh, chapter 34. And we're going to jump in kind of in the middle of this exchange. Let's go to verse 5. It says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud. Okay, very quickly. It says in a cloud, not as a cloud. How many know the difference between in a cloud and as a cloud? Okay. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. How many know that clouds don't stand anywhere? Okay. What's going on here? God the Father has appeared to Moses in the form of a human man. That's pretty awesome. That's really cool. And then he talks to him. And he says, this is so beautiful. He called out his own name, Yahweh. Verse 6, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And that sounds like a good friend to me. And I love Moses' response, verse 8. And Moses hurried. Good friends hurry to your presence. In sorrow, in defeat, in victory and celebration, good friends hurry to your presence. And Moses hurried and knelt down to the earth and worshiped. And he said, please, favor in your eyes, Lord. Let my Lord please. Please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. Go among us. Indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. It's like the millionth time he said that to him. And forgive our iniquity and our sin and take us as your possession. There he is again, interceding for the people. And God, what did God literally just get done saying? I forgive iniquity and sin. And what does Moses immediately ask him to do? Please forgive iniquity and sin. Here's another, here's another tip. Good friends never take anything for granted. Moses didn't take it for granted. He said, I know you said that, but, but can you please just tell me again? because I'm probably going to forget. Can you please tell me again? Sounds like a good friend to me. In verse 10, just keeps getting better. And God said, look, I'm about to make a covenant in front of all your people. I will do wonders that have not been created on all the earth and among all the nations. And all the people among whom you are will see Yahweh's work. They'll see my work because what I am about to do with you will be one, two, three. Sounds like a good friend to me. And over the next 40 days, so at this point, Moses goes back up the mountain. Second, time, second set of 40 days to get the law again, the Ten Commandments again. And God gives it to him. And this, this is what we refer to as the Mosaic Law. Pun intended or not intended, I'd... I don't know. <laughs> I didn't think that one all the way through. But what's the, what's the biggest component of the Mosaic Law? The sacrificial system. And you can read about that. Basically, the whole thing is in the book of Leviticus. Yeah. Yes. I can't wait for that series. I've been talking Heather's ear off about it. I know she's not here today. But um, yeah, um, I th I'm thinking verse by verse through Leviticus. It's going to take somewhere between 40 and 47 weeks. Um, 
And uh, so I can't fit all of it in, the, in this message. Obviously, I'm already probably way over on time. But, uh, but, if you, but I'm going to give you a little taste of it, a little precursor to that series. And if you like it, just send, send some emails, and maybe we can get, uh, maybe we can get some mo- a, a grassroots campaign behind this Leviticus series. Uh, <laughs> but um, anyway, I should keep going. Um, the sacrificial system. So we tend to think about this in very, 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 very simple terms. Okay. Before Jesus, people had to offer sacrifices to have their sins forgiven. And then after Jesus, we don't do that anymore. And that is 100% true and woefully incomplete. Okay? And there's a bunch of reasons why I would say that, but I'm just going to give you one quick example. The reason why it's woefully incomplete is because that assumes an apples-to-apples comparison. And we do not have an apples-to-apples comparison. Again, one example. Murder, there are several sins, but murder in particular could not be atoned for with any sacrifice. Not one goat, not ten cows, a thousand sheep. Premeditated murder, there was no option. You got the death penalty. Okay. After Jesus, that changed. Doesn't matter how far you run. Doesn't matter what you do. You can never run too far for Jesus to come get you. That is not an apples-to-apples comparison. So the sacrificial system was, had less to do with forgiveness of sins than we tend to think. It is part of it. I'm not going to deny that, but it's only part of it. Most of the time, sacrifices were actually used to simply prepare sacred space and maintain its sacredness so that God's presence could remain. If you remember, the tabernacle kind of moved all over the place as the people moved. So wherever God was, that place was sacred. That, that ground was different than the rest of the ground, okay? And they had to keep it that way so that his presence would stay there. Remember, when his presence leaves, all hell breaks loose. So if I'm, if, if I'm heading to the tabernacle to offer sacrifices, um, Many times a person would offer several different offerings in one trip, and they would have different names. There was a peace offering, a sin offering, a guilt offering, an offering of thanksgiving, grain offerings. They had different names and different purposes. But the first offering was the most important one. The first offering, the only purpose for it was to initiate spending time with God. It, w- it was like a signal. It's like, okay, God, I'm here. Phil's here. Here's my sacrifice. Okay, I'm ready to spend time with you. I want to spend time with you. So I'm going to give something to you that literally sustains my life. This animal that I get milk from, that has babies to sustain my flock, that I get meat from, I'm going to give that to you instead because I want to spend time with you. And this is consistent with the tent of meeting passage in Exodus 33. If you remember, Moses would go out to the tent and then the presence of God would descend now, he didn't offer sacrifices, so, that, so the method of meeting with God was a little different from Moses, but the order of operation was the same, and this is the key. We initiate spending time with God. He's always there. He's always speaking, always ready to listen to you, complain or counsel him or advise or whatever, or explain things to him. The question is, and we've been saying this a lot lately, are you aware of it and are you doing anything with it? So the first offering was the signal. Sometimes it was followed by other offerings. 
I could show up to the tent and offer just the one offering to spend time with God, and that's it. And that happened a lot. Now, if I, wanted, if I had some sin to deal with or some other issue that needed to be dealt with, I would offer additional sacrifices. Here's the key. You don't have to be forgiven first. Okay, nobody got that. You don't have to be forgiven first. Sin was only dealt with after you came into his presence. Now, that seems obvious, but don't we tend to try surgery on ourselves instead of scheduling time with the surgeon? Let me say that again because nobody got it. Okay, don't we have a tendency to try surgery on ourselves instead of scheduling time with the surgeon? You would never do that for a hip issue, right, Ike? You would never do that. <laughs> but we don't have a hip issue. We've got a heart issue. We've got a soul issue. We've got an eternity issue. You're not educated. <laughs> You're not powerful enough to do that kind of surgery. You've got to schedule time with the right surgeon. Sounds like a really good friend to me. See, God had always wanted to dwell with his people face to face, but he couldn't because of their sin. And he gave them this system so that they could spend time with him. Not to make them jump through hoops. Not to make them waste animals. Not to punish them. Not to scare them. And guys, the church was different back then. He was, he was right there in the tent. Like on the other side, I know you can't see me anymore, but he was right on the other side of this curtain for them. That was real. And when they showed up to church, it was a different environment. It was a lot more reverence than we tend to show up to church with. And I'm not saying this place is not special, just like that tent was not special. Okay, this is still concrete and steel. It can be gone like that. But the people of God are here every single Sunday, and they're going to be at 307 Oak every Sunday and pretty soon. And when the people of God are here, the presence of God is here. And so what I'm saying is I don't want us to be scared, and I don't want us to be quiet. I don't want us to be super serious. There are times for that. But we need to get some reverence back. We need to start acting like the presence of God is actually here because I tell you what, when you know that God is literally on the other side of that curtain that's like this thick, church is different. Church was different back then. We need to get some of that back. God came down, and wherever he decided to dwell, that place was sacred. And so he gave them the system so that they could occupy that sacred space with him. Now, why would that be required? Well, proximity to God is dangerous if you're not made of the right stuff. Make sure you listen to the entire sentence. I don't want to get emails. Proximity to God is dangerous if you're not made of the right stuff. Now, I used to think about it from this angle. Like, okay, so why can't the people, why aren't they allowed in his presence? Like, if he loved them so much, I, I, I know he's holy and all that stuff, but like, Okay, if they go into that sacred space and they experience his unfiltered glory, um, like, why, did, why can't he just refrain from killing them? He's God. Like, why can't he just refrain from killing them? Now, be careful how you think about this. Because I would challenge us with those words not allowed in his presence. And let's start thinking about this idea of maybe he's protecting, protection. Maybe he's protecting them from something. Just keep this in mind. God isn't chucking lightning bolts at people for experiencing his unfiltered glory. Okay? He's not killing them. 
and it's, it's, they're not even dying because they disobeyed, although that's part of it, but the deeper issue is they're experiencing something that they were not currently designed to experience. Now, let's think about it from the, before you start complaining about God not being loving enough, let's think about it from this perspective. Let's say for the sake of argument, you jump into the ocean, you dive to the bottom without a, any scuba gear or a submarine, and then you die because that's what would happen. And then you go to heaven, and you're uh, at the pearly gates, right? And Peter's there, and he just sees the look on your face, and he's like, oh, man, here we go. So you go, and you're like, I need to speak to the manager, all right? God said, uh, Peter's like, look, he's really busy, but I think I can handle this one for you. Um, Look, what's the problem? Well, I jumped in the ocean, and I dove down to the bottom, and I died. And God said he loved me, and God said he would never leave me and never forsake me. And God said nothing had stashed him on the palm of his hand. Why did he let me die? And Peter said, well, did you have any scuba gear or a submarine or any other form of, like, breathing apparatus? No. Okay, well, God didn't let you die. You, you died because you experienced something you weren't designed to experience. Right? He designed you to be on land. He, does, he designed your body to only have 70% water, not 100% water. Okay, he didn't give you gills like the fish. So he didn't let you die. He just... You just experience something that you weren't designed to experience. And so God is telling us, look, if you do something you're not designed to do, you're going to die. And in this particular case, with his sacredness and his holiness, he's saying, look, you're not me. He's actually protecting them from death, not execution. Do you not see the difference? It sounds like a good friend to me when you put it that way. So he's up on the mountain, he's fasting and praying and meeting with God for 40 days on a mountain in the desert. Now, if you fasted and for 40 days in the comfort of your home, how good are you going to look at the end of 40 days? You're probably going to look pretty rough. 40 days is a long time without food. Now, if you do that for 40 days on a mountain in the desert, you're definitely going to look like you're dead. But he comes down the mountain and he looks good enough to be a god. And the people freak His face is literally shining. Not like pregnancy glow, like 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 radioactive, like way too much uranium type of shining, okay? In fact, he has to wear a veil for the rest of his life when he's around the people. So as not to freak them out. Although, if you're wearing a veil the whole time around the people, that is kind of creepy too. But, you know, I'm not gonna question him. Uh, he did still take it off in one instance, though. Every time he went into the presence of God, he would take the veil off. What's the point? Look, Moses spent so much time in close proximity to God that he had to try to cover it up for fear of overwhelming the people. And his shining face reflected God's glory and presence and holiness and otherness to the people for the rest of his life. And it never dimmed for decades. Look, Moses was different. Moses was set apart. Moses was unique. But let me, let me tell you something. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be set apart. You're supposed to be unique. The way in which we image God, the way in which you fit into that mosaic, whatever that looks like, the way in which we image God should be not just blatantly obvious, it should be blindingly obvious. Are you catching my drift? It should never dim. So Moses was unique for sure. He was special. Read through Exodus, you'll see that he had some unique encounters with God that none of us are ever going to experience on this side of eternity. 
but I would submit that he didn't have it nearly as good as we do. Now, you might find that hard to believe, but look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. I'm almost done. This is a really long passage. It'll be okay. Verse 7. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Remember how murder, for instance, could not be atoned for with any sacrifice. You got the death penalty. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away, meaning when he died, the brightness would fade away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Now, just take a breath for a second. I know there's a lot of glory flying around in that passage. That's how Paul tends to write sometimes, but it's for your own good. You need that glory. Okay, verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses. Did you catch that? We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away when he died. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. Verse 16, here we go. It starts getting really good now. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? Everyone knows that verse. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him, as we are changed into his glorious image. Mic drop. That is a good old-fashioned Paulian mic drop. God, it's infinitely better than for us. We can initiate meetings with God whenever we want, however we want, wherever we want, all the evers we want. Okay, no sacrifices, no rituals, no special places. But why? Why can we do that? When you are in Christ, you are not occupying sacred space. You don't have to concern yourself with occupying sacred space because you are sacred space. You are remade with the right stuff. We call that the righteousness of God. You're remade with the right stuff, the righteousness of God, so that you can be in God's presence at any time and in any condition. That, that old system was God's people bringing sacrifices to God to spend time with him. And then God came to the table with his sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, his son, Jesus. And he said, now it's time for all of my children to be sacred space so that they, so that you can be in my presence always. So for the first time and only time, I'm bringing the sacrifice this time. Sounds like a good friend to me. Would you stand on your feet and close your eyes? Some of you are in this room or on the podcast didn't know that God could be your friend when you came in today. 
Some of you may have heard that one time and life has caught up with you and you forgot. And so what you need right now is to start to believe that friendship with God is possible. He's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card, not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. He's not just there to pray to when you're in a rough spot. He wants to be your friend. And so if that's you today, I need you to do something really bold. I need you to, I need you to come forward. We're going we're gonna to sing a song about the goodness of God and friendship with God. Um, but before we do that, before we do that, sing that song, uh, you're going to need, or while we're singing that song even, you can come forward and just, um, just lay it all down at his feet. If you need prayer, there's going to be people near the front that can come pray for you. But you can feel free to start coming right now. Feel free to start coming right now. The Holy Spirit is moving in this place. The Holy Spirit is prompting people that need to experience friendship with God right now. God, we love you so much. God, we're overwhelmed by this picture of friendship you gave us with Moses. And yet, the friendship you had with Moses is nothing compared to that new way that you instituted because of Jesus, your son, the ultimate sacrifice. And so God, right now, God, we need you to show us more of yourself. We need you to overwhelm us with your glory. We need you to overwhelm us with friendship, God. There's people in this room, there's people listening on the podcast whose, whose hearts are hurting and they feel like you're far away. And it's probably because they're believing some lies. It's probably because they're tired. It's probably because of a bunch of different things. But God, you're a good enough of a surgeon. You can take care of all of that stuff. You can take care of all of that stuff. And so, as, and so as we go forward, as you mold us and shape us into the image of your son, as you sanctify us, God, as, as you make us more like Jesus, as you make us more like Jesus, as you give us his righteousness, God, may we along the way be overwhelmed by your friendship, your close friendship. May we see those and feel and experience those faithful wounds of a friend, God. God, we make, we make this our prayer today, our hearts cry. God, we believe. Help us in our unbelief as we go forward trying to understand this idea that faithful are the wounds of a friend and that we are sacred space. So because of that, God, we can experience you anytime, anywhere, in any condition. God, we love you. God, we love you. God, we love you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.